This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's At Last. It's been ages since we've done one for all kinds of different reasons, but we're back now. That means also we've got loads of stuff to talk about. I mean, we always do, but um, there's been a few games since we last did a show, so we'll sort of have a look at them. There's a bit of a pattern to them, isn't there? Um, we'll have a bit of a think about what's coming up in the rest of the season as well, and just um, just enjoy, I suppose, at the moment as we record this. It's always tempting fate when you do this, but as we record this, you know Liverpool aren't doing too badly. But um, you know that that worry about whether we'll qualify for Europe is a little bit less of a worry. But there's still time for us to mess it up, isn't there, Jay? Yes, let, let, let's hope not. <laughs> um, I, I think I said a couple of couple of podcasts ago. I fancied us to win the season out, and actually, true to form, we've we've done well so far. I think um, what was I think the Chelsea. Draw might have been our possibly our our last dropped points in the league, um, okay. and then since then we've uh, Arsenal. Sorry, it was Chelsea then Arsenal back to back, wasn't it? Within a week, um, yeah. Since then we've gone a, a little run, uh, six spins on a win, which is in this context of the season, it's probably to be surprised because it's it's not been normal, you know, any anything that we've been used to in in recent times, but. One thing that we have got used to in recent years is towards the end of the season, we do tend to pull a run of games together where, you know, we've been challenging for titles in years gone by and unfortunately not this season. But we're competing for for the potential spot at the big boys table in Europe next season. Um, as as we speak, you know, the likelihood is it's not in our, not in our hands anyway. Um, and it's probably not in our favour in terms of the teams ahead of us have, have got a game in hand and a couple of points ahead of us. So we need favours from other boys. Uh, but, you know, all we can do is do our own business. Um, and that sounds very cliche, but if we win our own games and, and take care of our own stuff, then 
anything else that comes is a bonus. I think one thing that probably won't be guaranteed is we do our own business. We will have European football on field next season and be that the Europa League, hopefully the Champions League, and with all due respect, hopefully not the Europa Conference League, I think it's called. Um, you know, whatever competition it is, European teams at Anfield is always a good little vibe to it. And yeah, Thursday, Sunday is not what we wanted, but it gives us a shot at a trophy. And, you know, it was it was one that's eluded Klopp in, in, in all due respect because he, he, he made the final in the in his first season and uh, Sevilla beat us in Baal, I think it was, 3-1 um, after a nice Daniel Sturridge goal. So if we can get that trophy in the bag, then, you know, it'll still be celebrated as much as any other trophy. I remember, you know, when you're saying about the trophy, someone, two things spring to mind about the Europa League. Someone, I, I, I must have tweeted or wrote or said something about Klopp and saying, oh, he's won, won all the trophies he can now, because he has, at Anfield, that is, won all the trophies he can. And someone said, he's not won the Europa League. And I was thinking, well, there's a good reason for that. Like, there's a reason why he's not won the Europa League at Anfield. But, you know, I'll, I'll leave you to it. And also, years ago, um, some Evertonians sort of, thinking it was really you know, worth having a dig that we'd never won the Cup Winners' Cup. But for the same reason, we'd never won the Cup Winners' Cup because we'd always been winning the actual league or the European Cup. So we never kind of got entered for the Cup Winners' Cup. When we could have qualified for it, we didn't go into it, generally speaking. So um, it's, it's And that's the kind of thing I've been used to for years. You know, Growing up, I was used to it. We got used to it for a little spell you know, a while back and then um, and then we got used to it again recently, and it's going to be going to be strange doing the Thursdays, um, and and strange not having that theme tune as well, the one that they played for the, apparently they played for the coronation. Um, I had to, um, I was on Twitter and everyone was going crazy saying, "Is that song we know?" So, just sort of flicked the TV over and did a quick rewind of it, and they were playing the Champions League theme for King Charles for some reason. So. Don't know why. Maybe he's getting into the cuts as well. Um, but the but the truth is, whatever whatever competition we end up in next year, it feels like, as you've just said, it's in our hands to sort of guarantee some sort of European football, get some favours of other people, and it's much better European football. But in all honesty, we messed up earlier on in the season, and it's just so frustrating to think how many times we messed up as well. But as you say, this run, um, I mean, we had the two. We got we got beaten by City, well and truly, two draws, Chelsea, Arsenal. Beat lead six one, and then you know that was the first win of this current run as we as at the time of recording, which have all been by a single goal since then. All the wins, um, it feels like that is in a way the kind of Liverpool that we get to know at the end of a season as well, because it's not always about going out and winning handsomely. It's about going out and doing just enough to get the points, isn't it? And it feels like that's what we've done. I mean, it was hard work watching how we nearly threw all the way. Well, let's go back to it. That that four three against Tottenham. Oof. You know, we, we we were we absolutely wiped the floor with them after like fifteen minutes, and then we relaxed, and we nearly lost it. And but even so, I suppose now that the pains died away from how frightening it was, really, how much we nearly really messed it up. Um, we did. We we sort of we did relax too much. But in the end, at the end of it, we did just enough, didn't we? We got the three points. Yeah, and it was. I remember standing on the cock up there and was like in dreamland after 15 minutes but this is going to be a Man United all over again you know it could be seven um, mm. you know we had, we had the stopwatch on how, how long did it take Newcastle to get to five goals when they 
Tonk Spurs a couple of weeks earlier and was like, can we beat Newcastle's record time of putting Spurs five goals down? And I think, yeah, the, the complacency certainly kicked in then. And, you know, Tottenham, for all their woes, I've still got decent players in the team. Um, and they created enough chances that day and, you know, they put them away. Um, they, were, they were always a threat, even when they were 3 0 down, like, you know, 15 minutes into a game, if if you were on, you know, the, the Tottenham side of things, you'd, you'd still think, you know, what, there's, there's plenty of time here. Like, it's it's been done before, you know, we, we've been witness to it ourselves. We were 3 0 down with 45 minutes to go in a game and managed to, to claw it back. Yeah. Um, but then seeing that bleached. Uh, Palmland Ronaldo come on in Richarlison <laughs> and his R9 uh, copyright that he's going for I, I was 3-2 and I just said you know what he's not scored a goal all season he's just going to come on and score and true to form the little pigeon dancer did um, <laughs> however the story didn't end there did it and it couldn't have happened to a sweeter person and it couldn't have mean more Evertonian that this fella whips his shirt off, does his little stupid pigeon dance, gets himself a nice yellow card and thinks, that's it now, I'm I'm a true Everton hero, we've known playing in the white shirt at Tottenham yeah. and I couldn't wait to get away from Goodison Park quick enough that Diogo Jota goes down the other end and bags and send us all into raptures and I learned a lesson a few years ago, you'd never leave the game early, never no. leave the game early. If you think you're going to you know, sneak five minutes on the traffic, then yes, yeah, so be it, but with Liverpool, you never quite know. And that was a classic case in that situation where, you know, all was lost and there was probably a few thousand beds who've stormed up the ground thinking, ah, he's got and done it him, hasn't he? But you just never, never know. And, you know, the, the form that we're on, you know, teams like Newcastle and Manchester United, we are chasing down, probably looking like going, you know, what, these bloody bastards aren't going away. Mm. And it is, it's so Liverpool to win by the odd goal to get a late goal and as much as it like you know sent us into jubilation it really wiped the eye of Richardson and all the Evertonians who <laughs> thought ah you know what we, he might not be in the blue shirt but he's done it for us well he didn't he didn't um, you know it's so, it, it's it, so Everton though as well isn't it he was kind of yeah. celebrating a draw you know it, it was like it was so Spurs that you know the whole bottle job thing like you know they, they got back into it and they just couldn't quite get over the line Maybe it's a North London thing, but it was also so <laughs> evident that, like, you know, yes, we've got a draw. Like, we've went to the Hanfield and we've got a draw. And then you think, have you, though? Have you really? Because if you're not learned from all them, you're like, you know, Sadio Mane a couple of years ago in the derby, you thought you'd got a point out of us and he's nicked it off you. You know, Divock Origi nicked the points off you. It's like, you should know better than that. Like, wait until the final whistle's gone and the ball has been picked up by the little midgets in the referees' chairs. And then he's walked off the pitch and gone, that's it, the game's definitely over. Because it's not actually over until we've actually stopped playing. Um, so, yeah, that, that that was a sweet, sweet victory. Um, he raised his game, though, as well. I was thinking, like, the thing about we've said about Everton over and over again, he's still have a mediocre season. But then they'll, they, they quite often play well against us and sometimes give us a bit of a hard time. But then in the end, we'll prevail. I mean, other times, they can't even raise the game. We've had some... They've had some absolutely pathetic games against us in some 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 occasions, but on the whole, it's their cup final, and it was like as if it was his cup final, wasn't it? He brought that with him. Yeah, it was, and like it was like he come on to a big fanfare, and I, I, you know, there must have been more than a few thousand Liverpool fans in that stadium who just thought it's just him. Like 
he's coming on and he's just not scored all season and it, it, yeah. it just will be typical because the way we were cruising through the game and the way we'd let them back in and I don't even remember who the referee was on that day, but I'm sure he was terrible. They always are. Um, and it just felt like, you know, we're just giving them opportunity after opportunity. Like, we'd seen it a couple of couple of games earlier on against Nottingham Forest. Like, we get ourselves in front and then we just give away, like, stupid free kicks or we're allowing, you know, with Nottingham Forest case, we're allowing them throw-ins, like, you know, halfway into our own half where they've got this near cutter you can sling a ball like a slingshot into the box and we just think we're masters of our own downfall here why are we doing it to ourselves and again with Tottenham like Harry Kane the master of falling over in a, in a small breeze like it doesn't take much to blow him over but it was needless free kicks we were giving away and you just think that's what it, that's where the goal came from a needless free kick on the touchline and you know they lumped the ball in the box and yeah it was it was something that we've we've done to ourselves but we've managed to find this inner steel in the last few games and as you say odd goal wins apart from the Leeds game it's it's getting us over the line and you know it's it's not doing your, your blood pressure any good it's not doing the grey hairs on your head any good if you've got any left like you know I, I'm not I'm not much I'm sure I can stand much more of this season but as we record tonight going into Leicester I'd do anything for like you know, a two, three, three goal win. Just, you know, nice and simple. Not on over the top, not on like too contentious. Just get a couple of goals and see the game out and make sure the game is wrapped up and we move on to Saturday, which is Villa at home, which will be a much tougher game. Um, even though Leicester are fighting for their lives, I do think, you know, if we we be professional about it, we, we should be able to handle the situation. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It, you're right. It's a couple of a couple of tough games against sort of East Midlands and um, West Midlands. Yeah. Yes, um, West Midlands Villa. When, couldn't think then for some reason. Um, you know, so we got these two Midland sides coming up, and obviously they're having different fortunes. Um, just thinking back again about that Spurs game, it was kind of. I don't even know which game is which now because we've had we've had like a little run of them where we've had these like you mentioned you don't know who the ref was we've had dodgy referees and. Um, there's two that stick out to me. That's Paul Tierney and Anthony Taylor. Now, Anthony Taylor is from Withenshaw in Manchester, but because he supports Aldringham, it means he can he can referee our games. Fair enough. Except it's not fair enough because, same with Paul Tierney, supposedly from Wigan, um, also in Greater Manchester, but doesn't support a Manchester team as such supports Wigan if anyone. Um his son actually is a rugby or he sorry, his stepson was a rugby league player as well until recently as well. So um you kinda of get the feeling, oh well, you know, he's not he's not going to be someone who sort of supports um a team that's a proper rival to Liverpool. But the thing is, and I don't know about you, but if you get to if you listen to people who are from outside Liverpool but nearby, you're forever hearing this sort of anti scout sentiment. And you don't get that with anyone else, I don't think. Um, don't get me wrong, if there was a Scouse referee being asked to referee, and he said he supported, um, I don't know, supported Marine or something. Mike, Mike Dean. Yeah, from the world, yeah. Where it was supported, and you couldn't have doubted his support for Tramia. <laughs> no, but on the other hand, if someone had said, listen, should he be refereeing Liverpool-Everton games because he's from Merseyside and, you know, sorry, should he be refereeing Liverpool games against 
any Manchester side or whatever, or any Manchester team, because he's you know he's he's from the world. He's kind of Scouse. He's got you know that that hatred amongst that Scousers have. Maybe then I wouldn't be wouldn't be bothered. But I think there's one thing about I don't know what it is, but for some reason Scousers get this sort of hatred of so many different people that's. It's bordering on um, people, people out the way, racist people do almost, that it, it just goes that little bit too far. Um, it's not, you know, it's not based on anything real. It's genuine hatred and genuine dislike. And I hear it time and time again. I mean, sometimes you hear it of people who, you know, they sort of don't realise where you're from if you're sort of out, you know, if you're out and about somewhere else. It shouldn't even be even under question that if a referee is from the Manchester area, that they can't referee a Liverpool game. It doesn't matter who they say they support because it's not just about who you support, this hatred for Liverpool, is it? It's not just... Um, like Aldringham fans do not love Liverpool as a city all of a sudden, do they? They're not like all going around saying, oh, I love Liverpool, great people. They're more likely to be like other people in the Manchester area. Um, Withenshaw, again, I cannot believe if I were, if you went in a Withenshaw pub... Um, and started speaking really loud in a Scouse accent that everyone would be coming by and you pint and calling you, you know, wanting to be your mate. You're more likely to get some some daggers and maybe even a bit of trouble just because of your accent. So why on earth do we have these referees doing our games? Uh, answer on a postcard, please. <laughs> <laughs> Send them to Gags uh, Anfield and Nexus. Um, because I don't actually know. And I, I don't believe for one second that across the country... There's all these county FAs. Obviously, we we come under Liverpool County FA and where we are here. And then, you know, there's, there's Manchester County FA. I've done a coaching badge there. And yes, I didn't get well received because I was from Liverpool and doing my coaching badge in Manchester. But there is, you know, tens of county FAs around the country of which have referees coming through the system because, you know, Sunday League, Saturday League, junior football, grassroots football is played all over this country, you know, might be played in some places more than others, you know, like that there is obviously like a hotbed for for football in, in certain parts of the country where other parts of the country might have other sports that might be uh, more popular, you know, like cricket or rugby union, for example, or rugby league, especially in the northwest of England, like towns like bordering Liverpool, Manchester region, like Warrington, Witness, St. Helens, if people know the area, they sort of they're the sorts of towns that are in between Liverpool and Manchester and they're rugby league towns. But yeah. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. The chances are the people within them towns will say, "Yeah, I like St. Helens or Witness Rugby League." However, I follow Liverpool or Manchester United or, yeah. you know, Everton or in in modern times probably Manchester City. Um, there's got to be referees in these systems. However, it always seems to be the Manchester or the Greater Manchester based referees 
who were the ones getting the top jobs. And you don't you don't tend to see, you know, a referee from from Bristol or from Norwich or from Southampton. Like that there probably is if you went went through the profiles, but you know, the only other one I can think of from a significant area of the country is Michael Oliver's from Newcastle. And yeah. I think he's he's openly a Newcastle fan, so I don't think he's given Newcastle games for that reason. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, very strange coincidence how there is so many. And I've not got anything to do with the fact that it was Mike Riley and now Howard Webb who were running the PG MOL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, con- a conspiracy theorist might say that's that's all too coincidental, but it does seem to be the same small group of referees that when when we have them in games, not only do we have them in regular occasions, but they're always in regular big games. Like, you know, Paul Tierney, I think, was Arsenal, possibly, or Spurs. Um, Anthony Taylor, we've had him numerous times for games involving Liverpool and Manchester City or Liverpool and Manchester United because he is now currently deemed the top ref in the country. I mean... It shows you how good it is, doesn't it? It's, you, you're the best of a bad bunch. Is is the best you can best way of summing that up, um, but it it does just seem like you know you'd often hear see the phrase like bouncing around on, on social media or live Varpool, you know, because we might get the VAR decision. It took us thirty one games before we got a penalty all season, and yes, okay, we've had a couple more in recent games. Um, only that springs to mind because Mo Salah's missed a couple, but. Mo Salah gets mugged every game. Like the, the amount of fouls that actually aren't given on him is unbelievable. Like, you know, as I said earlier on, it doesn't take much for Harry Kane to fall over. And no. um, I remember back in the Spurs game when I think it was Ben Davis um was tugging back Mo Salah. And, you know, he's he's trying to hold him off. He's not swung an elbow, he's not swung an arm, he's literally he's put an arm to see where the player is who's pulling his shirt, like just to hold him off to try and, like, you know, keep on his two feet. And Ben Davis goes down an absolute heap, and the referee blows up and, and gives the foul against Mo Salah. And then, you know, you've got the whole who hard over Diogo Jota's high foot when, you know, the, the social media um, Ferrari that was, you know, Diogo Jota should probably be banned for six or seven games because he, he had his foot in the air, won the ball. And then connected with Oliver Skip's head, but however, when Erlen Haaland done it earlier on the season, Joachim Anderson from Crystal Palace threw his head into Haaland's boot. You know, it, it yes. just it just doesn't add up. Let like let's have a level of consistency, which that's all we want. If the referees are going to be so bad, that's fine. Just be consistently bad. Like, yep. Just just let us have the same decisions week on week. That's all we're asking for. Because if you're going to give a handball for a touch in someone's fingernail, which was in the recent game between Leeds and Newcastle. Well, there's been much more situations where the ball has struck people in the arm. And yes, it's gone in our favour a few times. You know, you think back to, to West Ham and the ball when Thiago fell and it hit his arm. That could easily have been given. I was expecting yeah. it to be given. Yeah. But, you know, let's just have a level of consistency across the board. That's all we're asking for. The other thing as well is, I mean... Just, just back on that. I mean, when when I say like it's almost racist the way people talk to people from Liverpool, I don't mean I'm not sort of comparing the two directly. But what I'm thinking is the mindsets of a lot of people. You know, the same kind of sort of attitude of just trying to sort of belittle other people because of something that's different about them is is how a lot of people are with scousers. And and I think that's not for one minute saying that Tierney or Taylor are like that. But the truth is, 
because of where they're from, anytime they get a decision that's controversial in any way, it feels like it could be because of where they're from. It could even be sometimes when they do a good favour, you know, in a way when they do us a favour, that it's almost as if they're trying to compensate from where they're from to try and pretend that they're not. And, and the way you get rid of that is just don't put anyone who could possibly, you know, even slightly have any kind of perception that they could have some bias. Don't put them on that game. Just don't do it. And, you know, that means you've got to get your finger out and find some better referees from around the country to do it. But the other thing, and we've said it so many times, I'm sure, um, you know why? Why does one identical decision in week one look get a totally different um, reaction? You know, in in week two of a, of a season, you know, why does one incident that looks identical in that game not get treated the way in the next game? And sometimes there's a reason for it. I mean, that that incident with with Thiago, if you read sort of the letters of the law and all the rest of it, then it, it wasn't it wasn't a handball because there wasn't much you could do about it. But as you say, you've seen them given loads and loads. There's never an explanation, you know, and. That sometimes might mean, you know, putting your hands up and saying, I cocked up. I thought that's what it was. And, you know, there'd be a lot more respect for referees then because, I mean, the guy who's on, on the pitch has got to make a decision in a split second. They get let down time and again by VAR. I mean, it's a shame that VAR aren't sometimes allowed to just give him a shout and say, look, um, although this isn't one of the things where we're told you meant to tell you to have another look, you really could do with having another look. Otherwise, we'll not hear the end of this next week. But at the same time, it slows the game down enough as it is. It's just been, it's just been a mess, hasn't it? Um, just, one way just or another, you know. On the referees, yeah. Just to just to cut across you, tonight referee as we record is a game against I say is Craig Porson, and I just had a quick Google there. Like, who does Craig Porson support and where's he from? So he's from Sheffield. And God. if you just if you yeah. just put into Google, who does Craig Porson support? And the first thing that pops up, big big letters, Craig Porson, Sheffield United. Uh, 2015 League Cup final referee is based in South Yorkshire and is a fan of the Blades. 42-year-old has never refereed a match involving United, Sheffield obviously, and Wednesday, or South Yorkshire rivals Doncaster or Rotherham. So yeah. he's not allowed to referee the teams he's from or the rivals. Yeah, you know, Paul Tierney, Anthony Taylor, two Manchester-based referees, there's more as well, are happy to take part in games that, you know, are from the, the region, the based in City, United and rivals, i.e. Liverpool and Everton, because they're, you know, there is still a rivalry between Everton and Manchester United. That's quite fierce, to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, so how does that stack up? It yeah. doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. And you're right about the rivalry. I mean, there was times when um, both sets of fans got involved in the rivalry in days gone by. Tony, when we get Tony on again, I'm sure you can. Um, he can explain some of those uh, situations in the past about the rivalries um, back in the day. But yeah, the rivalry is there. And I mean, the other thing as well is, in a way, I mean, it's where you draw the line. But even then, I'd be sort of saying, should someone from Sheffield be refereeing our games? Because again. There's still a lot of sort of resistance from that city towards our city, I would say, from a lot of people. Um, what, what, what you say about the resistance towards Scouts is it like it's derogatory, isn't it? Really, yeah. it, like, and what baffles my, my mind is um, my partner's from the West Midlands, so I've been down down to see her family for you know nearly 13 years now. We've been together, um, and being into like local pubs in the West Midlands area and. You're asked for something at the bar, and instantly the bar staff are like, You're not from round here. I was like, Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're like, Oh, they, they look blank, and they're like, 
they look at her and she has to basically order what I've asked for because you know my native tongue is too hard to understand for for people who don't understand a Scouse accent. However, I've had conversations with people and they're like, ah, you know, Scousers, but make sure my car's locked outside. Keep your eye on your handbag, love. And you know, when when you get speaking to them, you go, actually, have you ever been to Liverpool? And they go, oh yeah, yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. And, and how'd you find it? Oh, we had a great night. It was lovely. I, you know, you got really good bars and clubs and restaurants up there. And like, so, so what's the problem? Like, genuinely, what is the problem? Like, you will find most people who were derogatory and downplay Liverpool as a city and the people of Liverpool when they actually come to the city. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. And experience for what actually it is, whether that be for football, whether that be for, you know, a night out, food, drink, um, you know, see the, the architecture, the museums, whatever they come for, music. You always go away probably with comments saying, that was better than what I thought it would be. Mm. You know, what the people are really nice, they're really friendly up there, like, I wish it was more like that where I lived. And you think, well, what's your prejudice for? Like, you know, you, you listen to, to idiots who probably have never been to this, or you, you read stuff that was lies in the media, and we can go on to that one forever, but come and actually have a look. Like, come and see what we're about. And I'm sure your opinion will be ten times different than what it actually is now. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? People fall for all these stereotypes. I mean, I know, in a way, I'm kind of falling from it by having a go at the Manx, because... I know a lot of people from Manchester who are actually okay. You know, um, believe it or not, it might sound hard to believe, but they are, they're, they're great. And, and to be honest with you, when you get talking to them, they're not, a lot of them aren't sort of, whether they do it when I'm not around, but there's no sort of anti-scout stuff really comes out of them other than the sort of general sort of football stuff that you get between everyone, you know, nothing sort of nasty or whatever that you might get. You know, as soon as you look on social media, as soon as you're listening in to visiting fans singing, that kind of stuff, none of that, you don't really get that. Um, I just think, though, as well, I think part of that is maybe because, as you're saying, they're having their eyes open. They said they're just falling for all the crap that other people say. They're having having a chance to sort of look with their own eyes, listen with their own ears. And that was something, let's get on to it now. Um, when that um, coronation thing was going on, which was, you know, thanks to that King guy for giving us an extra day off, wasn't exactly like uh, peak viewing. I saw the echo the day after, and he'd really scraped the barrel trying to show that people from Liverpool were getting involved. He managed to find one woman from somewhere I can't think where she was now. Um, somewhere, that, well, no, he was actually. That was the thing. She was actually from Liverpool. He stuck some Union Jacks in the window, 
Um, but then the other people they interviewed were people who were in that uh, Eurovision village, and it was like, so this, these people travelled up from Manchester, and these people were here from, um, from from London or whatever. So they actually struggled to get anyone to interview from Liverpool to say, yay, it's the King's coronation, aren't we loving it? Here's me flag. So because obviously the the, the, the true feeling for that and for that whole weekend was Liverpool, Everton and Tranmere basically got told by the, the whoever it was that they had to play the national anthem at their games and all three of them protested against it. Now, I didn't actually hear the Everton or the Tranmere ones, I just read about it, but I can't believe either of them were anything like the protest from Anfield because if ever you're going to send a message out, that was it, wasn't it? It was stupid to do it in the first place. Um, the club hung the fans out to dry a fourth day, I think. You know, they'll probably put themselves between a rock and a hard place in, in being advised that it was to be played. But what would have happened if they'd have said no? That's what I was thinking. You know, fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what are they going to do? Is 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 Charles going to come down here with his band of merry men and tell us, oh, you didn't sing, you didn't play allegiance to me or sing my song or whatever? Like, so what? I'd like <laughs> no to see him come down here on the band. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one cares. Take your sausage fingers somewhere else, mate, because we don't <laughs> care. Um, it was it was a bit a bit stupid, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I think like uh, the headlines were written before we'd even got in the ground, and all it was they were just waiting for that first second of the so-called national anthem to be played and the reaction, and it was send my whatever social media outlets you can get your news out there on. It was done, you know, like within. The game kicked off at five thirty, and that was probably happening at what five twenty-seven by five twenty-nine. Yeah, you know, all news outlets had like you know, scousers disgrace of the country and all that, and you know what? We don't really care. It was, it was a stupid thing to do. I think like they should have just not even marked it at all. And you know, if, if they would have got a fine for whatever for for disrespecting the monarchy, then so what? Like I'm sure. You could have done a whip round the ground and he would have happily said, you know what, we'll pay it ourselves if you don't have to play that shite in the ground. Um, I don't even think he would have noticed. If someone had said, oh, by the way, uh, Charles, you know on your busy day when you've had your funny hat on and all the rest of it and gone, gone in your your little carriage and all, whatever whatever else you've done. Um, by the way, up, up on Merseyside, uh, some people booed, it, booed your song. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't have been asked. No, 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 no. Like, it was... It was silly to do it in terms of you know like what why create something that we didn't know what was going to happen um but, but, but what i found most enjoyable was that was what as we record this like the weekend before what we've just had there um that was all on the the saturday wasn't it and then the sunday as you mentioned there was a eurovision concert um for the launch of eurovision week um on st george's hall and obviously because because Charles had to have a special day, we all got a bank holiday Monday off, which that was the only good thing about it, is we got an extra day off work, but yeah. thanks for that anyway. But it just meant that we could actually have a, a concert for, for what we wanted, which was Eurovision, and you know, there's been more more hype and more more excitement and more enjoyability about the whole city because of what's gone on the last week with Eurovision than what you know, I cared the weekend before with all the the flag waving weirdos with, with the coronation because that's that's what we are. Like the, I seen the, the tweet the other day about like you know 
downgrading Liverpool for, for getting all excited about Eurovision and being so proud about it, but because we see ourselves as more European, this city would be nothing without Europe. You know, the EU saved our city, all the money and all the funding that they've they've helped rebuild city to what it is now. It, it's all due to Europe, and we're, we're welcoming to people from all over the world, and you know, like as we say earlier on, like come and see what we're about. If you if you haven't got a, a clear judgment on Liverpool, then you're from whatever else in the country. We'll come and see what we're about. Well, it's the same for for anywhere in the world, and the, the most welcoming city. And there's so many people from different cultures and backgrounds and countries that live here anyway. It made sense to have Eurovision here, and I will confess, you know, I I'm, I wasn't. Wasn't ashamed. I sit there and watch the semi-finals last week. I watched the final on Saturday because it showed our city to be what a great city it is. There was so much going on, and a lot of it was free, which was even better. Like, all the concerts up until Saturday night were free to enter. There was loads of stuff going on around the city. There was loads of you know volunteers who gave up the time to make sure people coming from other parts of the world were able to enjoy themselves and and. It just shows what a what a great city of people we've got. I, I'm I'm really proud that we we put on Eurovision and, and and yeah, we might have been representing Great Britain, but you know we were representing ourselves more than anyone, and it it went off really well. And I think anybody within the Eurovision sort of you know echelons and thinking, well, if it does ever end up back in England or Great Britain, then why not send it back to Liverpool because we, we've really done a a good job of it. Yeah, I remember someone sort of saying to me, "Do you want to win?" And I'm like, to be honest, I didn't know he was. What I didn't have a clue what any of the songs were like. I hadn't watched that that much of the build up, so I didn't know that many of the songs before it was on. And I just said, "Part of me wants wants Britain to win because I'd love it to come back here." And then I thought, you know what? If it did come back here, I bet you they'd say, "Oh no, we need to do it at the O2 now. You know, this time let's do it at the O2." And they wouldn't have got they would, but they wouldn't have got what they got in Liverpool. I mean, for one thing, Liverpool remembered that. It was being done sort of for Great Britain, but really it was being done for Ukraine. And I'm not sure every other city would have kind of remembered that as well. Um, that's maybe not being fair, but I just think, you know, we we were good in that way. Um, another observation was I was watching the sort of results coming in and then like San Marino popped up giving their votes. And I'm thinking, if San Marino, like a little tiny thing, that's you know, it's not really, it's pushing it to call it a country, isn't it? You know, if they can get an entry, maybe Liverpool should get an entry in Eurovision. You know, maybe a first step to independence from the rest of the country. I don't know. Um, if Australia can enter, I don't see why Liverpool can't have their own entry. So, you know, maybe something for us to appeal for in, in years to come. But the other thing as well, all those people you mentioned, all those things that went on, you know, that was done by the people from Liverpool as well. It wasn't like they shipped loads of people in from all around the country to get everything on. Don't get me wrong, there will have been people coming in because there's so much to do, but... I can rem- I saw so many people I know working on Eurovision, you know, so many people on social media that I know who were involved in one way or another, who were helping out, being involved, doing things. Um, you know, the city knows how to do these things. The city knows how to put these events on. Um, the city knows how to welcome people as well, like you were saying. Um, it was strange. One thing as well was so many Union Jacks being waved and it didn't bother me because it almost felt like they weren't the other Union Jacks. It was almost like you could put up with it. You, do you get what I mean? It wasn't like when you see a Union Jack, normally it upsets you because you know it reminds you of why we blew the national anthem. The whole way we've been treated, this you know managed decline and all the rest of it. I mean, if 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 the Tories had got the way in the eighties, there wouldn't have been anything to do a Eurovision from in this city last last weekend because they would have left it to ruin and let let it rot. 
And one of the reasons it didn't rot, as you say, is because of EU money, because of Europe, European money and helping us regenerate. And who's to say what's going to happen in the future now that that's gone and whether, you know, whether we are still going to find ways of getting money in. But I think as we showed at the weekend, you know, we don't necessarily need handouts. We we can do things, you know, just give us a chance. Um, yeah, uh, you not know. only that, it, the Union Jacks, as you say, were probably people who weren't from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they would do as... There was so many people like you see the interview on the telly and whatever, and they were like, Where have you come from? They're like, Oh, I've travelled from, you know, X part of the country to be here because the Eurovision fans and you know, the the whole like, you know, stigma around Eurovision is like, Oh, it's it's not for everyone, but it is. Like it is for everyone, it doesn't matter where you're from and a lot of the a lot of the um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is the, the thing around Eurovision as well is the, it's a lot of LGBTQ friendly. Yeah. So they they'll have a lot of you know LGBTQ people involved, and they they see Eurovision as like a little competition that they they can connect with and resonate with because you know they, they might be able to find a release in that or find like a little bit of freedom within it. Yeah. And as a city, we're we're really you're going to use the word pride. We we are we're proud of of mm. having like. You know, an area of the city that is really dominated and and heavily supported of the LBGTQ community, and you know, there's there's pride events every year. I think it's usually around July, if I remember rightly. And you know, there's there's a lot of people who aren't comfortable to be able to openly speak about it. But at an event like Eurovision in a city like Liverpool, they were able to come and enjoy themselves and feel free and be able to to openly express their own emotions and own feelings and I think would you be able to do that in other parts of the country? I, I would I would question if you could because there's there's other parts of the country which, you know, to to use a, a Dave Hendrick term is very gammon and gravy. I yeah. you know, very Brexit, very, you know, white British and I'm man and she's woman and we have children and that's the way we do things and anyone from anywhere else is not welcome in my part of the land. And I just think, you know, we were we were the only candidates, in my opinion. I think you know when it got decided that the UK was hosting. I think it was Glasgow, maybe Leeds, Sheffield, Liverpool, and maybe Birmingham. We were in, in contention for it, and I think like you know other than us, possibly Glasgow. But I wouldn't fancy it going anywhere else and getting the you know the sort of reception and putting on the party that it did and. I think that that's what it was. It was a whole week of party, and it, it was just an atmosphere. And you know, if, if you've seen scenes on how Liverpool, as a club, and the city celebrate when we win trophies, then you know it just gives you an idea of of what we can do. And there's not a more that that Scouts people love than a good a good party. Yeah, one thing as well, I think I was thought really proud of, and it kind of hit home because I heard someone say that they were having um, over in Manchester. They were having like a their own little sort of fan village type thing you know where you could watch it on big screens and that's in a place called piccadilly gardens which um anyone who knows manchester at all i mean i'd not heard of it really in this sort of detail but in recent years i've got to know that um it's not exactly the nicest place in the world and as well as that one thing that that it hasn't got and it's not its own fault manchester's own fault is it's landlocked and just the pictures of the arena and and the the fan park at the side of the river by the side of the water um you know when the summer's coming down and all the rest of it 
I've been at concerts there as well in the past. It's an amazing setting that we are so lucky to have, and it just looks amazing when you see it like that as well. Um, it can be easy sometimes to kind of take it for granted, can't it? You kind of you're going past this place all the time, and you just don't think much of it. You sort of sit in traffic or whatever else, but it's it's an, an amazing place. It's so photogenic, and maybe maybe I'm biased. Could well be, but I just think it is. I just think it's a, it's it's a wonderful place, and um, also I think what was good. We might as well get it in now. Um, Graham Norton saying I, he had to wipe a little tear away. And that was because they just sung You'll Never Walk Alone, which that's the one bit that maybe um, took a little bit of the friendliness away from the city <laughs> as a whole, isn't it? Because some people in the city don't like that song. Yeah, it was very quick <laughs> to react <laughs> in terms of the the blue half of the city. I've seen, seen one person get offended because you pull out um, Eurovision in Liverpool and a red heart, and they were like, "There's blue hearts available as well," you know. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't have to always be about you. Like, you know, it it's a heart because you know the predominant colour for a heart of love is red. Like, it's not for Liverpool. Um, and yeah, like you know, they they, they certainly weren't going to you know introduce Graham Norton and the rest of the panel coming out to Zed cars where they you know on, onto the uh, stage. So. Oh, oh, we don't care uh, what the red shirts say. Yeah, I, it was it was a touching rendition, and I, you never walk alone means a lot to so many people for so many different reasons. But you know, I think you know, even even Lord Ragnar Clavin, um, yeah. who gave Estonia's Estonia's points, uh, jury votes out, yeah. whatever. You know, he, he had a touching message and said, like it, like a message not only for the people of Liverpool but for the people of Ukraine, which again, as you say, we were representing it for, like. That you'll never walk alone. Like it, it, the connotation of the saying and the connotation of the words within the song is of hope and is of togetherness. It's not just oh, with the red shite and, yeah. and that's what they sing. It's there's a lot more context and meaning to it. And given what the competition was about and what we were representing it for, it was very touching. And, and the rendition by the guy who sung it, I, I, I forgive me wherever he was from. Um, I think it may have been Denmark. Um, on the on the night, and then there was clips going round of the mass screening, which I think was at the period and the thousands of people there, all openly singing it, open air, like it. It's sung differently to what it's sung at the match. Yeah, like it's a different type of emotion involved, and it, it's touching. It, do, it does. It does bring a tear to your eye, and, and even if you have not got any sort of actual connection to Liverpool in one way or another. It will touch it emotionally, and you know Graham Norton, as he said, like, and I think it was Hannah Waddingham as well who was in, uh, presenting the show with him. Yeah. She said, like, it it does, it brings a tear to your eye, and it just shows, like, it's not just about football. Like, it can be so much more than that. And as we've always said, like, football games are just that ninety minutes on a Saturday afternoon or whenever you play, or if it's a couple of hours out of your day or your week, you know, to to meet up with people that you only see that that time of the week or whatever to to just get away from real life and just enjoy it and that song it just it takes you somewhere else and it it, it does it, it it's a special meaning and you know it, it did rattle a few cages but it said a lot more about the, the cages it rattled of those people than what actually it, the the bigger meaning of the playing of the song that night yeah and i think um there's a lot of people who, who chose to say nothing as well because i think that's another thing to do i always think um 
when there's something going on that you don't approve of, sometimes you're better to say nothing, you know, just just keep quiet. And I would say there's quite a few maybe just rather than kick off about it, just stay quiet. But yeah, I saw one comment I saw with someone saying, um, oh, look at that, look at that. The red shite won't be happy because they've used blue lighting for the this rendition of You'll Never Walk Alone. I'm thinking, I doubt anyone really noticed, to be quite honest with you. We were just thinking, you know, this song, and as much as it means something to us, like, like you say, it's not... It's not just our song. It's been a song that's meant so much for us, though. I mean, I, we, we've, we've had it through sad times, happy times, exciting times. Um, unbelievable how the hell did we win that time. You know, we, we've had it for some really trivial reasons, but I don't think it was trivial on that day. And I just think, um, I hope, though, that this is like a message. What we saw from that competition, that whole coverage, that whole week, um, the people coming away, uh, presenters and all kinds of people you heard just really really genuinely bigging up the city and saying how nice the people were as well um i just hope it keeps spreading that way and we get maybe maybe who knows that stereotype will start to be eroded away a little bit but also um you know let's have more of these things every year up here i mean if for no other reason and a little another little dig but at least that brownlee moore dock stadium might get a bit of use then as well you know because you know just talking about everton it's um i think they'll survive to be quite honest now this season but they're going to the wire again, aren't they, our mates? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody in their right mind had them to get that victory at Brighton the other week. And not only the, the victory, the manner of the victory, was it 5-1, I think, in the end. Like, you know, I think I've seen a few people had a, had a bet online. It was like, they were 7-1 to one just to win alone. You know, like, you would have got a few hundred to one for, you know, a 5-1 victory uh-huh. for for them. Um I I thought they'd get absolutely smashed there because, you know, Brighton are a really good team. They proved that yesterday where they, they dealt with Arsenal and um, you know, if they can do the same on Thursday night against Newcastle, then, you know, maybe it it opens that door ever so slightly more for us to possibly although, sneak in the top four. Although I think can they still catch up to us in the in the table? I mean obviously things could have changed by the time people are yes. listening to this, but they've got at the moment, before we play Leicester, they've got a game in game in hand on us and yeah the four behind so so they can't catch us off unless we mess up so yeah yeah so yeah if they do beat newcastle it would technically do us a favor yeah um and maybe give us a shot um but yeah i think you know it looking at the table at the time of thought, well they won't pick up three points from from brighton they obviously they got put to bed by man city which was to be expected but those three points have obviously taken them to 32. If they didn't have them, they'd be on 29. They would be 19th. They'd be behind Leeds. They'd be behind Leicester. Yes. Um, you know, it would have looked like the trap door was about to suck them in. But I do think that that might have just been enough. I I fail to see where Leeds and Leicester are going to get enough points to climb above Everton. And I think Everton have got Wolves away the weekend coming up and then Bournemouth at home I I do think that you know they'll get at least a point from one of them games and I fail to see if, if Leeds and Leicester can get enough to both claw them back but I don't need a VPN I've got nothing to hide <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. 
As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48 hour no obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. On the other side of the coin, that's now two years on a row that they potentially go into the last couple of games of the season. And as we've seen with Southampton, if you flirt with danger year after year, eventually you'll get sucked down. It mm-hmm. happened with Burnley. Burnley went down. All right, they're coming back up um, under Vincent Company um, next season. But you you do you do fear that you know you can't keep playing with danger this many times, and eventually you will get sucked down. And and it would be terribly ironic is if if they go down this year or next year, and that brand new Spanking Stadium, which we've said many a time. Is hosting games to to Rotherham and Preston with all due respect when, you know yeah. it's 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 not coming cheap, um and they may have to find a way to, to host some things in there to pay the rent because, if you go down to the Championship, they're already struggling to pay the bills in in the Premier League when they go down there the the revenues are I think they're cut by about eighty percent or something like that so, yeah it would be a, it would be a shame to see a big nice shiny expensive stadium just sitting there with nothing actually happening inside it. Yeah, I mean, unless, I mean, women's football's taken off, whether, you know, whether it's time to give the Liverpool women's team a, a stage and maybe we could buy it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, I mean, the the, the, the thing is, they, you're right, they flirted with it two seasons in a row. Um, this season, they've probably got a manager in who knows how to get them out of relegation trouble because he's managed to do it quite often with Burnley. You know, he did keep them up quite a bit with his own way of playing and, in a way, I feel like it's almost like a recognition that you know, instead of going for these sort of high, high level managers or, or or think they're high level managers, if you like, people who are, you know, talking about challenging for Champions League places or even better, they sort of realise that the kind of manager they need is someone who who will just help them survive. And he did do that on the whole um, for Burnley up until that one time he managed to get them to survive. And I don't know. It feels like maybe there's a bit of recognition there, not only about him saving them this season, but maybe about him just trying to help them consolidate a place that gets them away from this part of the table next season. Because from a financial point of view, as much as it might be boring to see, I'm sure the the powers that be at the club would rather have loads of boring games and finish 12th or 13th than go through all this stress that they're going through now, especially if it, it's so risky that it could go down. Um, they, they would love the Roy Hodgson approach. Yes, the you know win one draw one lose one, but I'll get you to forty points with half a dozen games to go. Yeah, and they would they would they would love that. And I mean the, the fans might not like we 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 had Roy Hodgson ball for six months and that was bad enough. But felt longer. <laughs> like as you say, the powers that be of it just meant that they were guaranteeing the income from the TV and the sponsorship and everything else that comes with being in the Premier League. They'd be quite happy with that, and maybe sure nice ball will get you that. 
but as as proven with Burnley, like eventually, you know, you will you will find yourself slipping down there. And I think you know there will always there will always be three or four bad teams in the league, and I think they they might get away with it again this season by the being you know three teams worse off than them. But I I don't see how they can survive because they're financially crippled. I think, you know, if you'd ask any level head of Evertonian, which, as we said, if you get them on their own, they are. Yeah. They will will say that they are, that they're financially crippled. They they can't do nothing. They're they're literally the wheel and deal. And then, you know, you you look at where they've wasted money and they're having to to knock around the free transfer market. And there's a, there's a reason why players are free transfers. Like, okay, look at two of our own, Oxley Chamberlain and Naby Keita, are leaving on free transfers because they can't stay fit. Okay, we're letting Bobby Firmino go as well. But he's reached the end of his time at Liverpool. Like, with all due respect, he can do a job every now and again. But if he was your number nine for week in, week out, well, first of all, he gets too many injuries, so he can't be. And... You can't always rely on him to do it because he's not the player he was five, six years ago. So there's also free transfers though with players that that the club didn't want to let go. So we we've kind of we've we've not fought to keep any of those players you've just mentioned because if we wanted them to stay, we'd have found a way to pay him. Um, the odd free transfer that maybe works is James Milner, for example, came in to us and mm-hmm. did some really good work for us. And at the time, City didn't want to lose him, but. You know they weren't willing to pay enough to keep him, but we weren't the only, only club we were in, in for him. I'm sure um, that's a different way, isn't it? They've not gone for those players that are highly sought after. Well, even James Milner's leaving this summer, and it looks like he's going to Brighton, yeah. which is a decent outfit. Like he's not looking at Everton, thinking ah, I'll go and see, I'll go and do another year, but I'll do it at Everton. Yeah, I wouldn't have to I'll leave go, house. You know, it's like he's not. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm not signing up for that slog. I'm gonna go down the south coast where the weather's a little bit warmer than the lifestyles. You know, probably Simmons Liverpool a bit more laid back, a bit more, you know, relaxed. And you know, he's playing for arguably one of the best football teams in the country in terms of how they play football. The the brilliance of watching. Yes. Okay, James Milner might not be that type of footballer, but if that's what you're working with every week at Liverpool in terms of quality footballers who. You know, on the day can play unbelievable football on the pitch. Then, then why wouldn't you sign up for that if someone like that's willing to take your interest? And why not? You're not going to go and slug it out for Sean Dyche every week because, okay, you win the bleep test, but <laughs> well, what else is he going to do for them? Oh God, yeah, I, I can imagine that must be awful. Like you get to that point in your career when someone says to you, like, "Well, we've got Everton for you." It's like, no, no, then need jobs going. Anywhere else in the in the world other than football, I don't even want to stay a footballer anymore. Um, talking to Brighton, um, although there won't be any sort of, it's not like a, a transfer deal, as in a swap or anything like that. Swap plus money, part exchange. But they might be getting Milner, but we might be getting one of theirs, according to various reports. But you know, the Bellingham stuff turns out we weren't getting him after all, by the looks of it. Um, but there's another guy that, that's coming in from there who's um, well, he's kind of won more, hasn't he? Yeah, big Ali Macher. If uh, <laughs> if we can if we can find a way from converting the Gary Mack song and his baldy head to <laughs> to Ali Macher and his what gingerish hair and his Irish roots with his Argentinian flair. Um, I don't know if I've just made something That's up there, but that works. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> yeah, he, he's going to come into the club and just 
you know, the way they say, like, you slap your balls on the table. Excuse the dog, he's having a bit of a sneezing fit. Um, maybe he's got hay fever. He appreciates um, your song. He's... Yeah. Um, if he comes in and they say, like, oh, what, what have you won in your life? And he just goes, bang, World Cup. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and what? Um, you know, like, you, you've got players who can slap the Champions League medal on the table, but, like, he's won the World Cup and he was a pivotal part in that Argentinian team. And I've only took more interest in watching him since we've been linked with him. Um, he's one of these players who, like, if you play fancy football, you think he's all right for a few points every weekend. Um, and I just look like you watch Brighton, they've got a lot of good players who do catch your eye, but I do see a lot of, for me, I, I see a lot of Thiago with him. Like, he's a player who you can give the ball to in any situation and he takes care of it, but he also, his first thought seems to be to get the ball forward. Um, and, what we've tend to add in Marvin Field is a lot of safety, a lot of a lot of structural parts that just do the job and allow those around them to do the, the rest of the business and maybe, you know, we we're not the only ones who said like the midfield has not worked on various reasons for us this season. Maybe Klopp and the coaching team have looked at it and said, you know what, we need something a bit more different in there. Maybe we need a different approach and if it's Thiago with legs and more energy. Because when we play and Thiago plays well, we're fantastic, but he's not always available and he's not the most mobile of players. And the way he flings himself into tackles, you do fear that he's going to get injured more often than not. If we can buy that of a younger model and get more out of it, why not? And hopefully, you know, we, we baked up the Bellingham stuff. If that's not going to come off, if we can get... If it's McAllister or McAllister, as in like the old Gary Mac version, I'm not too bothered. But if he rocks up in a red shirt, I won't be too disappointed. No, no. And th the thing as well is I think it's a more realistic signing because, you know, separate conversation about whether or not FSG are the right people for the club and separate conversation whether they're doing enough for the club and all of this. Um, the reality is they're, who are, they're, they're the people running the club, they're the people who own the club, they're the people calling the shots. And I think going for a player that, is going to cost what Bellingham costs, just isn't their way of doing it. They're more likely to go for a player like McAllister, knowing that if it all works out, he could be worth the kind of money Bellingham's being quoted at now. Um, now, whether we sold him or whether he stayed is a different matter. Um, like th They sold Coutinho for good money when that was that was being offered to him. That worked out well. Likewise, they've, they've managed to hang on to Salah where maybe, you know, you, you could have written giving someone a check, you know, they'd have given you a blank check for him almost. So that to me is, is, is the potential likelihood of, of us getting him in, in a way is that FSG will probably look at him and think, well, he'll either stay with us for years to come and really be someone who makes a difference or we'll sell him for more money to someone else and use that money to get more players. So I can see it happening, but obviously that's just based on guessing and logistic, uh, log logical guessing rather than any actual inside information because... I don't think there's that much genuine inside information about these days other than, you know, once a player lets things know, be known or an agent lets things be known, then then stuff will come out. But, I mean, it's only the start, isn't it? Getting one... We're talking about bringing one player in and we've just talked about losing one player, but we've also... How many how many have you just mentioned are going, you know? So the squad is getting thinner. Um, and I'm not saying that Bobby, Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, Naby, I'm not saying that they've made a massive contribution over the course of this last season that we've just had that you know we're going to think oh god we've missed them but the thing is they're three players who were there to keep you know keep the other players hunger you know to, to come in when needed and to do some kind of a job so we need replacements for them as well and 
I just can't see us doing it. And I think, in a way, the guy we were talking about last time we were on, Curtis Jones, he's probably going to be the key to us having a good season next season because it seems like he could be the answer to some of those problems as in being a player who's there when we need him. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've, we've had a few games since since our last podcast and, and Curtis has started every one and I think as each game goes by, his performances are getting better and, you know, it's it's Klopp's favourite word, the player needs rhythm and um, he, he's got it and I think it was only right that we, we probably got to the point where it was right cases you've got till the end of the season and you're going to start every game, prove it. If you're good enough, then you'll be here next season and you'll, you'll certainly have a place in that squad. But if if you're not good enough, then unfortunately we'll have to find somewhere else for you to go because it's not going to work for you. And, you know, he, he's he's been a solid, solid performer in these games. I don't think he's had a, a bad game as such. A few games have been better than others, but what what I think he's brought to us in, in more than anything is legs and energy, um, which again is is what I, I touched on with McAllister is what what we need around that midfield because Fabinho seems to have aged five or six years in the space of twelve months, and Henderson's aged about five or six years in the space of two or three years, yeah. and that the legs and energy that they both had to cover pitch and cover for players who were progressing the field, normally the fullbacks, is just not there anymore. Um, sadly, and we need we need that about the pitch. And I think the one notable stat from Curtis Curtis Jones's starts is how many ball recoveries he wins, and that's key to what we were really successful in about two or three years ago was winning the ball back quick, winning the ball back high up the pitch, and allowing turnovers to to be in our favour. And with the pace of the players we've got up front and the quality of those lads it will inevitably lead to, to more chances and the more chances you get, you know, the more goals you probably are going to score. And Okay, with the last couple of games we won 1-0. We probably should have really had two or three more goals in every game, but we're creating these chances because we're winning the ball higher up. And if, you know, you, you look on the grand scheme of things of Oxley chamberlain Naby Keita and Curtis-Jones have not really featured on the whole. You probably would roll them up into one and say there's probably a season's worth of minutes being played across those three lads. So, yeah. in effect, you, you're not losing too much in the, in the two lads you're letting go. But if Curtis Jones can step up and take that cumulative minutes of those three players and we bring in other players who are able to, to be available for us, then we might find ourselves in a better position in terms of availability and competition for places next year. Yeah, definitely. It's... Um... Also going to be interesting to see what what happens with the Trent sort of experiment that we've seen in this latter stage of the season with the um, the kind of free role he's had moving between full-back and midfield and whether Klopp will keep resisting all those calls from people to make Trent a midfielder. I mean, personally, um, I quite like this idea now and again, but not it's not for every game. And and I think, you know, when, when Trent's playing well, and we're playing well, you know, you can give him that freedom to go into the middle and he'll do so much with it. But then... You know, it kind of does put the other the other defenders under more pressure when things aren't going so well. And you know, the bottom line is, if we had a decent midfield, we wouldn't need Trent to keep doing that, would we? So um, that's what I think the answer is going to be to that big question about whether Trent will ever go into midfield. I just think Klopp will hopefully find a midfielder who can do the job that Trent's basically doing now when he pops into midfield, and then Trent can go back to being that you know 
that fullback he does so much for us. But we'll see. I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I've got a little bit of breaking news for you. Okay. So, just reading there. After relentless calls from fans, the Premier League has set trial, letting spectators list in on conversations between the referee and the VAR officials for tonight's Liverpool versus Leicester clash. Now, obviously, when this podcast comes out, you would have probably seen the game. You would have <laughs> seen the the conversations should any take place. But it's a start. I think we would agree. I don't know whether that'll be just the TV spectators at home will be able to wear it through the broadcast or whether, like in NFL rugby type of things, where the referee is mic'd up and you can hear them and it's, you know, announced to the stadium as well as, you know, those watching on TV broadcast. I think, as we say, people listening to this will know the answer, but I think we can agree it probably is a step in the right direction because there's so much question marks as you've said about referees decisions and if we could have a little bit of clarity at least we then might understand what the hell they were thinking when they made that decision yeah and he'll diffuse situations like like Klopp I don't know if at the time of recording I'm not sure if he's actually heard back from the FA because he got put on a charge for for daring to question an official um, and pulling his hamstring at the same time so maybe maybe it was deserved maybe it wasn't but the thing is if 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 Klopp's you know the people around Klopp with all the tech had been able to listen into those conversations that were going on. Maybe it would have diffused the situation anyway. You know, instead of it building and building, there's a chance to actually hear what's being said. And if the ref's making, the ref knows he's being listened to. to in my thinking, he's going to have to really make sure he gets it right. He can't sort of wing it. You know, he's explaining it, and everyone's hearing him explain it. So we'll see. Um, I wonder if they were listening to this podcast. Can't have been. We were recording it, but you never know. Maybe we're being spied <laughs> on. Um, this is why you shouldn't have TikTok on your phone. You never know. <laughs> he's going to get in um, yeah so so by the time we next come back anyway I reckon we'll have had probably two games by the time we do our next show um, so there'll be plenty to talk about as well as looking ahead to the next game which is going to be definitely the last game of the season we'll definitely be on before that um, will we be in Europe will we still be fighting for Europe will it be a game that we're desperate to watch will we be live on TV or will we be the one that doesn't get shown because there's too many other exciting things to go on Um it's not going to be a great last game of the season because we aren't going to be there picking up any trophies or even trying to. But you know what? It can still be good. Um, the season can always be good. And I think the way we've ended this season, at least up until now, um, it's showing some good signs for next season. As long as we can build on it, we should be getting somewhere next season. But anyway, for now, thanks to Jay Reed. I've been Jim Boardman. You've been listening to Scouts of Tommies and we will be back soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.